This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello guys, it's Ben here. And before we get on with today's episode of the Stacey West podcast, just wanted to apologise for the audio quality of this one. We had a little bit of a problem while we were recording, but we did have a backup and this is the tidied up audio from that. So if you can excuse that, please do enjoy our chat with Alan Long. We had a great time and we think this content was well worth putting out. Cheers. Hello everybody and welcome to a very special episode of the Stacey West podcast. Uh, I'm co-host Ben and I'm sat opposite Gary today as opposed to sat in front of my computer and, and him many miles away. Yeah, it's a little bit odd, isn't it? Yeah. Actually been able to see Ben. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very time. strange one. And uh, we're sat currently uh, in one of the executive boxes overlooking the pitch at Central Bank with Mr Lincoln City himself, Alan Long. How are we doing? Oh, very well, thanks, Ben. How are you? Uh, yeah, we're, we're good. It's um, it, it's a bit of a, a weird one because we've sort of started this at what August time? Eleven weeks. Ago. That would be well, a, you a good way of looking at it because <laughs> yeah, we're doing it weekly, and this is episode twelve. So thanks for the, the slight bit of me there, Gary. It's all, always appreciated. Um, no, but we, we started this a few months ago, and we you know we sort of said at the time it'd be nice to try and get some guests on and. Maybe you know, forge some some links with the club and, and try you know keep everything in. And, and thank you so much for for joining us. It's, oh, it's uh, my pleasure. You know, it is it is massively appreciated. Makes so, us official a little bit like hope and glory now, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, oh wow. that's, that's harsh. So we yeah. we need to stay. We obviously need to stay incredibly professional today, um, having Alan on. So uh, that's the first thing we're going to do. Is 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 slide off one of the good start anyway. Yeah. So um, we sort of you know we thought we'd come in and have a have a bit of a chat with with Alan about um, you know your your role at the club and a few things like that and, and see really how we get on and in sort of a bit more of a relaxed more relaxed style than you. you maybe you're normally used to in the press conferences and mm. press environments. So, um, for those of you that don't know, Alan is the supporters liaison officer uh, with Lincoln City, who's the SLO for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, can you just sort of give those of you that are listening, well, those, those people that are listening who I imagine are probably in single digits who don't know who you are <laughs> and don't know what the role of the SLO is, can you just sort of go through that and maybe sort of just say... Just to explain how it's changed from when you came on as the SLO to where we are now. Okay, so like you said, support liaison officer. Sort of does what it says on the tin, really. Um, I was asked about, well, it was when Liam, just before Liam came here, he asked me to be the support liaison officer. And at that point, like a lot of people, um, I didn't really know what that meant. So I went on the UEFA website, and if you've got a spare 10 or 12 hours, there's a very <laughs> exciting 78-page document on there explaining the role of the support liaison officer. Um, 
I can do it in a sentence really it's the conduit between the fans and the club it really is as simple as that mm-hmm. um, my role is very much a role of communicating with the fans finding their, finding out their issues and communicating those back to the club and I must say vice versa it's important you know when we first started up there were, there were some people out there who thought well hang on a minute he doesn't represent me well I don't represent anybody I'm not a fans representative that's not what the role's about the role's more about um, communicating issues to the board uh, well, not to, not really to the board but to Liam and, and the staff here I have a very good working relationship with all the key members so people like Darren Curtis the stadium manager um, Ian the media boys and you know everybody in fact on a Monday morning we have a comms meeting where I'm very much part of that meeting with all the all the managers here um, and the role really is it's evolved because I think there's the supporting a liaison role is in Europe. It's very big. Mm. Over here, not so much. A lot of clubs, it's a tick box exercise. I mean, I've been doing it. This is my this is now my third season. Then it's a lot of the clubs that you speak to. Quite often, the SLO might be the ticket office manager, uh, and or the something else, and or the something else. And there's a there's a club not too far from us who, who their SLO has also got about five of the jobs. So it's more of a tick box exercise because every club has to have an SLO. It's not; it's an EFL requirement mm-hmm. that you have to have an SLO. Um, but of course, some clubs shy away from it, and we're very lucky at this football club in many, many levels, as I'm sure we're going to talk about later with Danny and everything else. Um, but we're also very lucky with the, the, the fact that our club and our board of directors are very open with the fans, mm-hmm. as open as any any club probably is anywhere. And certainly, when I go to other EFL SLO meetings if you like they quite well they just don't believe the access that I get to, to the club to the people that make decisions the decision makers at the club and in fact I'm part of those decision makers you know if let's take for example the new stadium that you know the old bugbear of do we don't we are we aren't we going to go I don't want to get into that now because there's no point but the reality is is that I can assure everybody out there that if and when the time comes that they say right we're going to probably move away from the stadium it's at that point that we will then have lots of consultation with the fans mm. and the SLO role very much become to the forefront of that yeah um, also it's about making the match day experience as good as it can possibly be and I think that's where myself and probably my team more my match day SLO is more than me in a lot of ways because as most of you know I've got like two hats on on a match day mm. um and so those guys are out there. And the idea of that is very much, it's the AFL very keen for, for inclusivity, everybody being welcome to football. Uh, if I was talking to somebody the other day uh, at a football club, we were saying, you know, um, oh, I would never let my daughters go to a football match. Well, you've only got to walk around the stadium here. You guys come every week. You have only got to walk around to see the, the amount of women and children and families. And for me, that is the most important, the best thing that we've achieved since we've been doing this SLA role if you like so it's it's very much a, a role of liaison between the fan and the clubs that, that link the conduit whatever you however you want to explain it and also improving the match day experience and the, the experience full stop at the fo- football club because mm-hmm. once the training um, ground is open I should call it the EPC shouldn't I really? <laughs> once that's open you know we're going to go back to doing the training days again we're looking at doing stadium tours here um, and all sorts of different things that, that, that are good for the fans to make sure that they feel part of this club because in the end without us guys out there clubs no, nothing 
Yeah. I've got, I've got a couple of points. First of all, yeah. I'm still under training day, don't forget. <laughs> from, the, from the team photo. Like, like you would ever let me forget. I'm training day. So once, once the EPC is in The place, EPC, you're on the list. Don't worry about it. Slide in your DMs. Just going on to the SLR, I'm quite interested in that mm. role because I personally think that you have been almost brewing and, and sprouting in that role since, certainly since I met you because... Mm. People might not know, but when I first came on the board as poacher, um, I was interviewed by Jerry Lonsdale, who was the media manager, commercial manager at the time, which would yeah. be, it would be a little bit more than what Terry does, I think, at the moment. It yeah, was, it was a sort of cross really yeah, between it, that and CEO, wasn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. he was, yeah. was more a CEO. Yeah. Uh, and, and he was in, was in the boardroom up there, and I walked in the boardroom, and there was Jerry, and there was Alan there. Um, and, I mean, you were, at the time, a fan who had kind of come on board and volunteered. Yeah. So do you feel that over the 20 years, 20 years that you've been That's doing scary. it now... Um, <laughs> that you, is scary, yeah. You know, you've kind of unofficially had a that kind of status anyway. I, I Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I, I think that's right. It's not something you consciously have done, but subconsciously. When I was on the trust board for many years, and I used to... Anybody that's out there is listening that used to have to listen to me waffle on in the trust board meetings will know that I was constantly going about my friend in Rose Ed in the court stand. Mm. And he's the guy who just comes to a game, doesn't go to fans' forums, buys his shirt, buys a season ticket, as a Mac- I nearly said McDonald's at half time, as a burger at half time, uh, and goes home. Mm. Who looks after his interests? And that's always been the way I've sort of seen this SLO role. I don't know, you know, I mean, we've had it with, I mean, obviously Rob Bradley, for instance, you know, he went from being a fan to being on the board to being the chairman to practically saving the club. Mm-hmm. So it's just to show that the, the need or the want was always there. Um, but as me personally, yeah, I think you're right, Gary. I think it's, um, you know, ever since I've been involved in various things throughout the football club, I've always had this idea in the back of my head that one day we'd be in a position where um, we could have a person that works here that, that fans felt that they could come and talk to have a cup of tea with, send an email to, ring up, speak to in the, well, I was going to say fan zone, but we didn't have one in those days in the club, um, and, and just just almost vent their, vent their their thoughts, if you like. Because a lot of the time, it's just people wanting to make suggestions or maybe improvements they might think or ideas that you haven't had that maybe you could have, um, or it may be an issue that they're having with a broken seat or toilet. I, I, do, do, I do a lot of toilets. I do a lot of stuff about toilets. That's yeah. that's not like. That's the same. That's the point. Yeah, that is. Isn't it? You can sort of take that take that in any context you like that. Uh, you know, but I mean, you know, the stadium is a big place. And there's a lot of toilets, and we have to keep on top on top of the toilets. There's another quote. But yeah, you, you're right, Gary. I think it's and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I don't beat my own drum here, but you know, I'm quite unique because because of the amount of time I've been doing the PA, people obviously they they know me more than I know them because they 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 see you. Uh, and, and I talk to people who, who say to me, oh, you're the only PI in that so I've ever known, which does make me feel old. I mean, that's the case for me. Oh, that makes me feel sad for Chris Ashton. <laughs> <laughs> At number seven, Mark Satori. Chris had his own invincible uh, way of, 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 of doing the job, uh, and we're all different. We are. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right, Gareth. I think it's, it's very much, it's, it's been cultivating for a long time, and then when we dropped out of the football league, you're thinking... Oh, well, that's not really going to happen. And then suddenly I got the chance to come here and do a little bit from... Initially, it was more about getting the community involved with the club. And then, of course, Danny Cowley arrived and the rest, as they say, is, uh, is history. Very good. I, mean, I think, yeah, that, that sort of moves me on to 
quite nice actually. So the next point I wanted to ask, which was about the um, Gary's about to open a bottle, so we'll, I'm not I'm not paying attention <laughs> to it. It's fine. It's like a sound effect. <laughs> you did that without making any. You're not only impressed. No. That look at that professional. Is, is in the last answer, Alan said something about coming and having a cup of tea with somebody. But <laughs> yes, I, yes, you should have bought the so, tea up before. I'm having a cherry coke. The tea is downstairs, which is not a lot of use now. Never mind. But yeah, obviously, you know the, the change in the club since since the you know, since you've come on board as the SLO has been. I mean, dramatic is one word, but I, mm. I don't think that's as big you know a big enough word to describe what's happened. Um, no, I mean personally. Um, I've told you know I've told my story on, on sort of the first episode where people that knew the blog but maybe didn't necessarily know me would have come on uh, come on board with it. But my story was that I I've massively fell out of love with football mm. about about eleven years ago um, for you know a multitude of reasons, and it wasn't really until that season where you know we we signed Danny and Nicky um, and they started putting the you know. We started putting running results together, and it was one of those things where you know I'd come back and I'd, I'd watch a game every now and then, or I'd follow the results a bit more closely than I would be doing. And then I can remember that it was the it was the, the Ipswich game. It, that was that was the moment for me where I just suddenly head over heels, you know, back in love with this football club, and it was. It, everything came together on that night, and it was just it was perfect. Mm. And I think really that's. That run summed up what's happened to this club in, in essentially that, that short space of games. I don't think there's a lot of people that I think are, are coming now that you know they would never come to a football match before. I mean, my, my wife's one of them. She's you know she when we got together, she hated football. She hated football when I started coming back, and then. I think I slowly grounded down when I was talking about the results <laughs> and everything, and I was saying, to her, "Just, just come along." Was, Fine, I'll come along to a game. And then she came, she came along. And she goes, "I can drink during the day, and I can shout and swear <laughs> in public. This is brilliant." I'm coming along, and now she's season to go. Yeah, you know, and the, the number of times I've heard stories similar to that on oh, this club, absolutely. Um, I mean, how how does it look to you from being sat on, you know, sort of being stood in the middle of the pitch? With the microphone, sort of introducing people and you know trying to get the crowd going. Yeah. How dramatic has that change been? And I saw a photo on social media today that had been put up of there was a game I think about six or seven years ago tonight, uh, second qualifying round of the FA Cup, yeah. and it was basically the co-op stand was the only stand that was open. Yeah. And you had the Lincoln fans in the lower tier in blocks, you know, five, six, and seven. Yeah. And then the away fans were on the other side. I mean, how how can you put into words like how that has changed? From, from it's been it's been amazing. Uh, you know, before I answer that, I'll just tell you a very quick story about Nicky Cowan. So, um, on the Sunday after they arrived here, uh, we were down literally down on the corner of the the eighteen yard box here, down in front of us, and we we're just chatting about it. He was actually talking about why we hadn't beaten Woke in that season because he just watched the video. And I'm thinking, wow, this guy knows more about my team than I do because I couldn't <laughs> remember the game. It was that forgettable. And he, he looked at, he, he looked up at the car and he said to me, how, how, how many people does that hold? And I said, about 5,700. Uh, and he looked across to, to, uh, to Danny and he said, do you know, wouldn't it be nice one day to feel that? <laughs> and I often remind him of that because you're right. Um, 
it goes back to me, right back to when we got relegated, the day we got relegated. You know, <laughs> Gary's filling up to my right here already. <laughs> well, I've just mentioned the day. day. It was probably probably worse than the first time round, to be honest with you, in, in the 80s in a lot of ways. And I can remember about, oh, I don't know, maybe half an hour after the game, I'm still out here on the pitch with the microphone trying to persuade people to leave because they just didn't want to leave. They thought the club was going to die and all this sort of stuff. And people were really upset. And then, obviously, we disappear into normally football. Let's face it, we didn't really pull up any trees at all. Maybe when Chris got here, it started to... I think Chris deserves a lot of credit for sort of getting the ball rolling, if you like, both on and off the pitch. Um, and you're right, you know, there was nights when we would turn up here and there was, I don't know, I think it was, was it 1,400 or something was the lowest goal, something like that. It's hard to imagine that now. And, and there's times when you think, what, what am I doing? What, what am I doing here? Why am I going around to these people saying, let's make some noise for the boys? Because it just wasn't happening. There was, the place was dead. You felt like it was flat. There was no atmosphere. And you were, like you say, two and a half empty stands. And it just, it wasn't working. And then all of a sudden... This this whirlwind of the Cowleys appeared, and if you remember, I think the first game was something like just under four thousand yeah, yeah. on that Tuesday night, and 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 again, um, Dan Rock might be saying this that he'd said to me during the day, "What do you think? You know, what do you think a good gate would be?" And given that our average gate the season before was two and a half ish, something like that, I said, "Well, look." If you get up, I mean, remembering that it's summer and people are on holiday and all the rest, if you get up to 2.8, 2.9, something like that, I mean, if it starts with a 3, then you've cracked it. And so at about half past 7, he came out and he said, what do you reckon? And I'm not usually very good at keeping a straight face, but I did this time. I said, all right, I don't know, Dan, I think probably, don't think it's going to, it's going to start with a 4. Uh, sorry, it isn't going to, it isn't, what was it I said? It isn't going to start, it ain't going to start with a 3, mate. Sorry, this is, this, I'm sorry. I, yeah, his little face went. It was almost as if he was disappointed that he thought he might get a few more people. And I said, might start with a four, but it definitely won't start with a two. And I think from that moment on, we'll all agree that I'm not sure we've had a lower gate than that since that day, have we? They did tail off a little bit. I actually wrote a blog that night called The Night Something Changed because everything had changed. I was at the Woking game, Nick, Nick spoke about it, it, was the last game of the, it was the last game of the season before. That's right. And we lost 3-2 to yeah. Woking. Um, and uh, Bruno Andrade, I believe, scored for Woking that day. I think he did. Um, and I remember we, I, I was with a, a friend of mine before we came to the, and we were queuing to get into the North Ferriby game and yeah. um, it, everything had changed. And, and they did drop off a little bit. I mm. seem to think they tailed off. Then Solihull Moors was, was the first post with over 4,000 yeah. I think it was 4,049 mm. um, and then Oldham happened yeah I mean it, it, you're right I, I guess it all changed with the cup run doesn't it I mean the, the league was the thing the league was the thing we wanted to, to, to win that was, the, that was the goal last season but it's the cup run that's probably had we not had the cup run and just won the league I still think the Gates would have probably been up around the six, 7,000 mark every week yeah. whether, we, whether we'd have got full stadiums every week I don't know I think the cup run is the imagination. It's the like you said. It's the, it's the telly. I mean, the Ipswich game was live on match of the on match of the day. I mean, we're not the football team. We're live on match of the day. What's that all about? And so, from my point of view, suddenly you went from this almost depressing job to this actually very easy job. Yeah. Because all I have to do now is walk around and wave my arms around and say something, and, and the cops <laughs> like, yeah, it does all this, and it's brilliant. 
and and you know the kids, you get reaction from the kids, you get the family stand, and it's just it's just brilliant. And every single game, without fail, when I'm stood here down here, when the teams come out, and I say, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your teams. As soon as I've said that, and I, and I, and I shut up, which doesn't happen very often, as Gary will agree to, um, I look up at the co-op stand. And I, I, I'm, I'm filling up now because it just it just gets me every single time. You know, you've got the boys up there in the corner, the 617 boys doing what they do, bouncing up and down. And, and then it sort of gradually wakes its way down the stand and then it makes its way around the stadium. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm up in the press box for games and I've been for 20 years now, so I haven't sat in the court for many, many years. And, and it, you know, the, they won't mind me saying this, it used to be known as the library stand. It's not anymore. I'm telling you, you, you know, if you don't make noise, you, they'll soon let you know up there. So the atmosphere of the ground is fantastic. And I don't know, it's just, uh, how, what do you put it down to? What is that one, what's the one thing that you say, when did it change? And I think you're probably right. Probably a lot of people say it was Ipswich away. Mm. When when I remember Dickie saying to me that he he went out to put the cones out at about two o'clock and got a standing ovation mm. from about two and a half thousand people and went back in and told Nick and Dan and they came out and had a look and they went back in and said we're not bothering with the team talk just go and have a look <laughs> you know and, and it was unbelievable and then of course like you said there was the replay which was which was unbelievable. And then the whole thing snowballed, didn't it? It just kept going and going. It was week after week after week, Burnley and, and Arsenal. And wow. There was Tranmere at home, and I, I don't know, that came before Ipswich, but it came after Oldham. I think it was the game after uh, yes. the Oldham match. Indeed. And I, I personally, I will always pin it on Oldham because I think the people that were here that night, first of all, saw rampant Lincoln City. Yeah. But then when the fog came down, it was one of those nights that you'll always remember. It was like the day the Lancaster flew over at MK Dons. <laughs> That was what it was like. You know, the night the wall came down against Stoke, it was one of those nights. Yeah. And the people saw it on telly and thought, oh, a part of that. And then the Tranmere game the week after, refereed by Anthony Backhouse, who's referee on Saturday against FGR. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we remember Andy Mangan's penalty, but uh, anyway, <laughs> there was seven or thousand, I think, at Tranmere. Yeah. That was the first time I couldn't sit in the upper. Um, and we had to sit down in the lowest. So actually, I told a lie. I must have not bought a ticket for that game. I must have paid on the game. Mm. Um, but that was when you realised mm. I broke my wrist actually falling down the stairs, <laughs> uh, celebrating um, uh, um, Marriott Scott. Oh, Marriott, yeah. Marriott Scott, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was. I was all done up for Christmas with a, a claw. <laughs> Did you wrap it up properly with a little bow? <laughs> yeah, no. They, they, they gave me like this blue Velcro thing that I had to put round, and I started a real job which I used to have um, on in the January, and I still have it all that aren't I? <laughs> and I was saying, I mean, going back to the bad days, I actually remember days turning up as poacher, and I would go to Alan, and Alan would say, "Don't bother going out today, <laughs> yes. because it'd be ten to three. We'd be playing Salisbury or Welling or Ebbsfleet, <laughs> and there'd be twenty men in one corner from Ebbsfleet. They'd come on a minibus or a taxi, and then all our boys would be coming in at five to three, kind right. of almost reluctantly dragging yeah. themselves from. I suppose I'd better go to the match. Yeah, and, and, and genuinely, the, the number of games I got into for free for doing nothing, uh, when we were unsuccessful, you would think I would want a return to those don't, days. Don't say that in public, Liam would be sending their bill. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to say that. <laughs> I paid Liam, really. I paid, I paid my dues. But, um, yeah, so I mean, obviously, you know, we, we've seen, we've seen an, an array of players of hmm. varying abilities. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Um, I mean, I know that uh, there's a story that we'll, we'll probably come on to in a, in a little bit, which which mentions one of my 
I say favourite forward players um, Mr. Battersby but uh, oh yes yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll just remember Tony very well yeah we'll come on to that um, but yeah the, the question I wanted to ask really um, and this is where we sort of start to go a little bit away from the, the official lines and all the rest of it um, I just want to know your if, if you could take sort of one one player from your time watching the Imps mm. and put them into today's squad and see where they fit mm. who would you pick? For me, it's actually an easy one. Okay. It's Gareth Ainsworth, without mm-hmm. question. I just love Gareth Ainsworth. As a player, as a bloke, as a... You know, he had everything in pace. He scored goals. He created goals. He, he was just a... He was one of those players that got it on day one. I can remember it was at Mansfield, I believe, where he made his debut. We were really struggling at the bottom of the league, I think, when we went there, weren't we? And uh, I, think, I think Becky signed in that day. I was on a course somewhere, so I wasn't in Lincoln, so I knew nothing about what was going on. And this is before the days of, you know, mobile, well, not mobile phones, but it was a brick. So it didn't have all the information you get on it now. And I remember turning up at the game, and, and I literally got there 10 minutes before the start, and there was this bloke out there warming up, I said to him, I'm like, who's that? He says, oh, that's Gareth Ainsworth. I said, who's he? He says, oh, we've signed him from Preston. All right, okay. Uh, and anyway, we went on to win the game 3 2. And at the end of the game, he come over to the fans and celebrated with the fans like we just won the World Cup. And I remember thinking to myself then, you know, that's 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 good. That's you know, that's that he's got that connection straight away with the fans. And as we know, you know, he went on to play. I don't know how many games and how many goals he scored. Finished up ninety-seven games. Ninety-seven was it? I knew he'd know. Um, it's five hundred thousand to Port Vale. Was that the was that the thing? They sold him for two million. I think. And then they sold him for two million. Then he went on to QPR and, and his manager, obviously now. And I, for me, just he was the perfect footballer. I mean, there's other players. I mean, Glenn Cockerell would, would be a very close second. You know, Glenn Cockerell was probably the most cultured footballer I ever saw play. You know, he obviously played in Murphy's team in the eighties. He was probably the most caught. I mean, that team, you know, our, our dear friend Steve Thompson was in that team and that was the team, you know, Hobson and people like that. And Glenn Cockery just, he, he was one of those players, very languid, he reminded me a little bit of of, um, of Glenn, Glenn Hoddle, because he always seemed to have time. He, he looked very, he almost looked as if he wasn't interested, but he just, he just could pick a pass, he could score a goal. In fact, he made, he made Jimmy Hill's skill spot once on Match of the Day. <laughs> Yeah, it was in all gone early 80s, I would think, must be. And it, well, it was the year we were doing really well, which culminated in the Fulham game, whatever year that was. 82-83. Around about there. And we played um, Millwall down here, and it was it got to match of the day. It made match of the day. Back in the days when match of the day used to have like a first division game, maybe a second division game. Occasionally they'd dip into the division four, as it was then. Uh, and this was the top of the table clash and just down again just down here in front of us he curled one around the keeper um, that was one of my favourite goals so he would have been a close second but for me Ainsworth every time fair enough Gary well yeah that's interesting I mean Ainsworth would fit into a Danny Cowley team because of the wide of the width the that he would get and he would cut in and he wouldn't have fitted even in terms of playing style because he was a right winger and because he liked to drift in and he could so he would have done really well and he wouldn't have fitted in to Chris Sutton, Steve Tilson. He wouldn't yeah. have worked with the Keith Alexander team because Keith really just used the width. So yeah. Ainsworth's an interesting pick. I'd be a little bit controversial because I'd play a player out of position, but I'd like to see Peter Gain play in, in the 10 role, um, kind mm. of behind the kindy in the role that McCartan's playing. Yeah, sort of McCartan type role. Yeah, because Peter Gain, 
for me, he's probably because I, I missed Glenn Cockrell. I came to the, my first game in '86, so Cockrell, mm-hmm. like, I missed that era. Mm-hmm. So for me, Peter Gaines by Glenn Cockrell there was nothing that kid couldn't do when he wanted to. When he got the ball at his feet, it was like giving Da Vinci a paintbrush and a piece <laughs> of blank. It was. It, it's, yeah. There you go, Peter. You do what you want with it. And he didn't achieve half of what he should. Yeah. One because he did his role in a Keith team, and with the greatest respect to Keith, that limited what. Peter Gain could do and you know there was a philosophy for a while get the ball to Gainey and let him do what he does with it and that was usually land it on someone's head or put it in the net but if he had been given a free roll and if he had been given licence to have the ball at his feet and run at players and, and, and kind of drop back and pick it up I think he would have torn this division up mm. what, what do you think would you, would you rather take Peter Gain or Bruno O'Reilly? Peter Gain mm. oh no, I mean Peter Gain was a great player yeah. I mean like you said probably well he did probably underachieve he definitely should have so he came from Tottenham, didn't he? Was it? He came from Tottenham. He so did, he'd obviously seen something. He did tell me. Was that with Alan Murray? Was, he did, yeah. They came together, I think. Yeah. And Neil Fenn came. Was that before? <laughs> that yeah. might have been some time before. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Peter Gain told me he twice turned down moves yeah. to Oxford and to Huddersfield in order to sign terms here that were either worse than they were being offered or worse than he had signed the year before. Wow. And the reason he then went to Peterborough was because he was still being offered worse terms even though there was other players coming in on better terms mm. and he wasn't a money grabber and a lot of people think that when he left it was for a five or a week or something mm. and it really wasn't and if you talk to Peter he's one of the he's kind of he's just a nice guy I mean I don't you're yeah. Yeah, softly spoken polite yeah. very shy very reserved very withdrawn and um, yeah I did the interview where he apologised for his celebration into Peterborough <laughs> but he basically said I'd been given stick for 60 minutes for something that I didn't do for something that I wasn't he goes and well, yeah and then I scored the world <laughs> so I celebrated and I've regretted it ever since and he yeah. still hasn't been back to the bank has he not? no I keep trying sure <laughs> no. I, mean, I think for me I think I'm sort of around the same sort of area in terms of players, I think it, it would be from that, t- uh, you know, from that kind of that time. I'd, I'd probably say Peter Gain or Paul Morgan, or mm. maybe Lee Thorpe. Going back to you know, that's a brave shout. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the reason I say that is because I, I've got the, the overriding memory for me with Lee Thorpe is is his goal against Brighton. Okay. Mine's successive sending offs and then boasting about it on Ritzy stairs to me. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I don't have that. I don't have that he, sat, he, he sat behind me at the, uh, the FA Cup game against um, Brighton. I had him and Lee Philpott sat behind me. And Lee oh, Philpott's yeah. one of the nicest guys you'd meet. He and again, he's, he's, quiet, he's relatively quietly spoken. And I was expecting to kind of, when they said Lee thought sat behind you, I was kind of tooling up thinking, this is, you know, I'm going to get elbows in the back of my head. Because <laughs> he was an animal, and he was an animal. Yeah. I was, as a centre forward, he was horrible. He, he was a, I would say Drew Broughton, that Lee thought scored goals. He was a, um, <laughs> he was he was a big aggressive player. But yeah, nice nice guy. If he's yeah, he's a lovely guy. In fact, he did a bit of radio work for um, Radio Lincolnshire when the cup run was going on. I remember he came to the hotel the night before the Black, uh, Blackburn. Blackburn? Well, we were at Blackburn, we trained at Blackburn, and that was it, before the Birmingham. Mm. Um, yeah, smashing guy. Mm. But like you say, not what you're expecting at all. No. A bit like Reedy, really. I mean, Reedy's just a quiet guy, really, and you, you look at him and you think he's not really like that, and yet he is. Mm. Um, I mean, I think, I think that's a, the thing, is that I, I think he'd fit into it, like you say, with, you know, um, with, with Ainsworth, I think he'd probably fit into a team like this because he's got the attitude that would... It, yeah, I mean, you know, we've had the conversation about about Shane Carton where he said you know he's, he's a bit of a he's that niggly player that gets underneath the defender's skin a little bit and I think 
from my memory anyway, you know, I was 12 at the time. And I think, you know, that that would be, for me, that would be the kind of player that I, I'd want to see playing in front. Mm. And if he can score a goal like he did against Brighton, which did lead me to smash several panes of glass in my dad's greenhouse. <laughs> trying to recreate it in my back garden. I think... Um, trying to recreate one of his aerial challenges. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's that whole off-the-knee turn shoe. I, I think I managed it about twice where I hit the net. Because I had a you know, little tea frame in the back of my Lee Thorpe managed that twice as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, wasn't Lee top scorer for two, maybe even three I seasons? I think it might even three, four. Yeah. Yeah, he was yeah you forget that, don't you? Because yeah. he had to do everything as well. Yeah. He had to. That was back in the day when you thought all a striker was to do was to score. So and now right. you look at the likes of John McKinney, and for those who are listening, it's not just about goals. Um, but you, know, you put <laughs> a ball into John, and he holds it up, and he's looking yeah. for someone to come round him. But with Lee, it was put the ball into him, and he's got to try and score. And score. You know, he looked isolated. He would he would actually thrive, I think, in the team. So it's a good shout. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll sort of go on off from there. And just a um, couple of couple of quick ones. I say, well, I say quick ones. I mean, there's there's more than these, and you can count at the minute. But your favourite moment at Central Bank? Wow. <sighs> I mean, do, that, a, do a post Cowley and a pre Cowley. Yeah, well, that, yeah. I, mean, I would say let's let's look back before before the Cowley revolution. Um, BC and AD before Cowley. Well, I suppose you, you you have to you have to say when we when we won when we won the GM Vauxhall Conference. You know, I mean that that season was you know because back then you've got to remember that the, you know the non-league football was like this this wasteland. It was a What's not only where's Barnet? You know who are, you know who are these teams? And so when we got relegated into that league, we really did think this, this, that's it. We've, we've done it. We're never going to come back. And um, so then to make the start, we made losing the first two games and carry that season through, culminating in that afternoon against Wickham Wanderers down here when the official gate I think was 9,400 and something and there was about 15,000 oh, yeah, it was I've ridiculous seen, I've seen the photos I think that was oh, uh, it was crazy yeah I think that, that was actually before I was uh, in existence I <laughs> <laughs> was there oh thanks for that yeah that was <laughs> but you know I mean I think the, I think it's the relief as much as anything you know I, I was up in front of the tee up just, just up there well, where the tee up was when the, when the Central Bank Terrace was there and the, the relief when Phil Brown scored that second goal and uh, I think if the stand hadn't been there, he'd still be running now towards the cathedral because everyone knew that it was so important to get back. In. You know, if you didn't get back the first time, would you ever get back? Would you disappear? Would Murphy stay? Would the players that we had, because we had some good players who come in to do a job, would they stay? So it was so important to, to to win that game. And so I think the relief at the end of it was was unbelievable. I can remember, you know, because this is pre pre. This is when I was just a fan, mm. you know, so I could maybe use some choice language on match days whereas I can't anymore and and it was just a great atmosphere it was a great day it was very tense the whole day was tense the whole week was tense you know it was the build up to it was so oh, what if we don't do it what if we don't do it you know and then when the second goal went in Mark uh, Sartori had scored the first one the second one went in and suddenly there was that relief and then the whistle goes and if you go onto YouTube there's a video of all the fans like bees running onto the pitch and um, I was lucky enough to be up and around where the, the, the in the Salenci stand there, and uh, when all the players came out with the trophy, little story. I took that trophy home that night. <laughs> I have a picture. I was in the Royal Air Force at the time, still, and Jeff Davy, who was the um, sort of CEO at the time, managing director, 
we had a bit of a party because my, my wife Sue was actually working behind the bar that night so I stayed behind and got involved in the party which was very nice and um, so we got to the end of this everybody had gone and we were just I was helping Sue pack up the, you know, clean the glasses and, and we were locking up and going and Jeff Davies said what do we do with the trophy? Because they didn't really want they didn't know where to leave it and there was nowhere secure they, you know, we, we won a trophy we don't want to lose it on the first day <laughs> so I said well I'll take it home if you like so I took it home, and then I got up the next morning to go to work. So I had a picture somewhere of me in my RF uniform with, with the <laughs> Vanarama National League trophy, which is up until the last few years was probably the proudest moment of my life. Oh, yeah. Now you're going to ask me, Danny Cowley, aren't you? Wow. I mean, if you need time to think, we'll, we'll talk, go around the horn. Go on, so you go, you go around and have a go. Well, I would like to say that, but uh, the, the same memory as you. I was nine years old, and so... <laughs> Although, if you see, there's, there's pictures of Phil Brown's goal, and yeah. from the angle they're taking, you can actually see there's a row of people, and my dad's there, my nan's there, my little <laughs> brother's there, there's four or five cousins, and we're all lined up behind the goal. I'm so small, all you can see is a little flash of orange. Um, <laughs> in between. And that was the beard. <laughs> yeah, he had it in there. nine year old beard. Um, in terms of, of my memories, uh, I, I've got two. One would pre-poacher, I would say, because that was when I was just a fan, and that would be when we beat Man City 4-1 in the Cup. Yeah. Just because, at the time, they, they were, they've were always been a massive club. They might have been struggling at the time. That was phenomenal. But personally, um, I don't think you get much better than the one draw with Torquay, and I don't think that's something yeah. that many people will ever say that a draw with Torquay is <laughs> one of their greatest memories. Um, and it wasn't particularly AO's goal, which, you know, that, that sparked it, but it was Alan Marriott's penalty save. Yeah. And from that moment on, you just thought, we're going to do this, you know, Martin Gritanunzi sort of thing. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it now. Yeah. I cut the words the imps out of A4 paper and salitate onto the bonnet of my Rover 214 <laughs> and put Hey Jude on a CD on repeat and drove through town three times. That was before the game. After the game, went out in Ritz's. Um, little worse for wear and the whole team came in and it was for me from start to finish that day was just having been where we were yeah. as you'll know 12, 12 months before yeah. walking around trying to save the club and drawing a rock down going this is a great result we're third from bottom and that was just people I hate it when people on X Factor say it was such a journey but that was a journey that 12 months was, yeah. was phenomenal I mean it's annoying because that was mine as well Oh, sorry. Um, we got great taste then. No, I mean, it, genuinely, it's like, I, I, <laughs> true. Um, I, I do remember, like, you know, that, that march, you know, that sort of being at the front with, you know, um, well, mm. you know, we were there at the front with, with Ringo on his drums and me and dad, with, you know, the trumpets, and we, we were marching to save the club. Yeah. Um, and I remember um, the, the one thing for me that symbolises that turnaround is when we did that march. We were walking down, walking down High Street, and I remember it vividly because we we were turning in from the uh, from where the train station is. And as we were coming down there, there was a guy on a bus, and it, it summed up a lot of the sentiment towards the club in the city that from from people that weren't you know sort of the hardcore Lincoln fans. He opened the window on the bus and just went, "You you know you crap, mate," <laughs> and just you know sort of went, Ugh. and then all of a sudden you had two or three hundred people that were doing this that were on this march. Also, just turned around and went, who are you? And gave this guy so much stick. And I thought, yeah, we're going to be all right as a club. We'll be fine. I bet he's on Lincoln City Banter now. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably so, yeah. 
but that's the thing, you know, and, and that was, to me, that was the moment where I thought, right, okay, I was so, so passionate about getting to that, you know, to, about making sure the club was going to be okay. Again, I wasn't that old at the time, but it, it meant the world to me because I saw how much it meant to my dad at the time as well. And I think the moment, that, like one of my favourite moments before before Danny and Nicky, and it, you're actually directly involved, is when the crowd's over that side, mm. we've heard the other results coming through on the radio, and then all of a sudden, everyone's just getting this murmur, and then you just hear your voice coming over the pier going, Scunthorpe in the playoffs! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, I, do you know, I can remember that. Yeah, it's just, you know, I'm getting goosebumps. Because I think cause we, we finished for before then, yeah, and I think, there must have been a late goal because it wasn't going to be Scunthorpe. Yeah. I forget who it was going to be. Well, obviously, presumably either Bournemouth or whoever they be. But anyway. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly it all changed and, and Chris Ashton said, no, 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 that's wrong. It's going to be Scunthorpe. And we said, no, it's not Chris. It's not, Chris, you're wrong. And that's a silly thing to say because Chris <laughs> is wrong. Uh, and it was Scunthorpe. And you're right. I, I, I can remember saying it as if it was yesterday and thinking, wow, we'll have some of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that, was, that was special. But it was. Yeah. If you want another one, the obvious one for me was was the day we got promoted in you know in in, in the ni- late nineties up to division. Yeah, two. Oh, yeah, or, Brian, yeah. You know, I can't so. remember that. I mean, again, it, it was <laughs> it, it was that goal. It was you know it was the goal that, that smashed my dad's greenhouse. Um, well, not Terry Fleming's worldy. <laughs> <laughs> they all can. Yeah. Still yeah. playing. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, unbelievably, still playing. He was at the yeah. Legends dinner the other night, loose terminology. I call it the former players' dinner because, um, you know, Mark well, and Mark, yeah. but they're all legends. Define the word legend, I suppose. Well, we've already tried that, Alan. Don't go there. I remember that Brighton game because I had a special guest with me that day, um, John Inverdale, off the of oh, telly and the radio. Yeah. At that time, I think I, oh, I, I, I know why it was. I was writing an e- a, a column in the Echo. I don't know, view from the pitch or something. And one of the things we, we decided to do was were there any celebrity Lincoln fans? Um, and the only one we could find was John Inverdale. That was the case all the way up to all the <laughs> So I wrote, I, I wrote him a letter. I mean, that's, this is how long ago. I wrote him a letter and said, oh, John, you know, um, um, I'd like to do an interview thinking he would maybe, you know, the phone or something. He invited me down to the BBC and I did it in the studio, Five Live Studio. Like we're sat here now, I'm sat with John Inverdale in the BBC in London, and I'd not ever done anything like this before, so it was a little bit weird. And uh, when we met, when when we played Brighton, I said, "Oh, do you want to come up and watch the game?" And and, and, and he sat just up there in the co-op stand, just at the back of um, the the front side of the of the co-op stand there, and uh, yeah, celebrated with everybody. It was so, actually my last game as not being poacher, wasn't it? As well. Yeah, yeah, yeah would have been. Yeah, because yeah, it was the following year. So. Mm. It's Post-care. Post-care. Well, in the end, in the end, it is actually quite easy because there's so many games, but it's got to be Macclesfield. Yeah. It has to be Macclesfield. I don't care what anyone says. You know, you can you can talk about Ipswich, which was brilliant, and you know, we'll never forget Nathan Arnold, rounding the keeper. Um, you know, we mentioned Alan Marriott, didn't we? Before the, the ball through to, you're never going to forget that. But it's Macclesfield because of what it meant. You know, it was the those of us that were lucky enough to be involved from day one with Danny, we knew what they come here to do. That's what they came here to do, initially, anyway. And whether they did or didn't think they could do it the first season, we know that they would say they did. And 
and, and, and we know that they did. But it was that, that the drive and the passion that all the players had. And, and I remember Paul Farman saying to me, oh, it's around Christmas time. He says, when we win this league, I'm going on the microphone after we've won the league. I said, Paul, you win this league, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> and he did. If you remember, um, well, it was total mayhem out there. There's, there's a point where, where, where um, Farms has got the microphone and he's standing on the fence over there, giving it whatever it was he was singing. We are going up. Wasn't Something it? like that, yeah. Which must have taken him months to work that one out. <laughs> but yeah, it, for me, the whole, you know, the whole, the whole season came down to that game. And if you remember, the game didn't start very well. They score, bit iffy. Then Terry comes up with an equaliser, and then you're thinking, well, you know. We can get just nick a goal here. We were all right, and it did look like it was going to happen. And then Terry scores the goal, and then if you remember down here, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, I yeah. still don't know how he missed that. Either. The football goals really were on last night, yeah. and, and we were at um, um, the shoulder of uh, Mutton the other day doing a fans forum in Ruskington, and, and Nicky was asked that similar sort of question, and he said his favourite moment was when the ref started running towards the tunnel, <laughs> yeah, because he knew that they'd won. So for me, it has to be that game because of what it meant. And look, let's face it, what it led to. Wembley, top of the league, 33 points. Yeah. None of that would have happened, would it? No. I mean, I'm guessing... Yeah, I, I'm not going to change that. I mean, uh, the Ipswich is a close second. Yeah. Um, very poignant night. We lost my uncle, unfortunately, literally hours after it. So the whole there was the blurred lines between football and, and you know positive and negative, and it, it, it was an emotional night. But for that, yeah, exactly the same moment. I mean, I, I was in the upper, and I remember coming down to try and get to the lower to get on the pitch. And Merrick Chapel, who's a, um, a steward who I know quite well, was going, "You're not going." I am going. You, you can't go. You've got to stay up here. It's like, okay, then, Merrick, I'll tell you what. What's he doing? And I looked, and Merrick looked, and just pushed me. <laughs> and I've apologised to him since, and I literally just leapt over and ran off. It's like, you're not denying me that, because no matter what, when we say don't come on the pitch at the end of, for, for playoffs or something like that, yeah. I agree with it. But that, no, it, it was the kind of moment as well, when you've experienced the 88 triumph as a nine-year-old, you want to know what it's like when instead of going home to your mum and a bowl of rice pudding or whatever, you kind of get to go up into town and drink until you can't move. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that it, it's got to be that. It's got to be. Yeah, I mean, it it is almost tied, but I think you know, like you say, for the, for the fact of, of exactly what it meant, mm. getting back into the league was, was the most important thing that season. I mean, the the argument for me is that if it weren't for that Ipswich game, I. But probably wouldn't have been mm. in the stand for the Macclesfield game um, because of yeah I probably would actually <laughs> um, but I think it's um, you know for me that the, the the pure emotion of the Ipswich game yeah. was was just so raw I mean I was sat three rows back and when we scored when the, you know when the ball hit the back of the net my friends said you know they, they, they said to me afterwards. Ben, I have never ever seen you move that quickly <laughs> in my entire life, and I doubt I ever will again. What happened? I went, I don't know. We scored, and I just, I just lost it. Like, Adrenaline takes over. It was. It? I, I think I, I must have jumped over to two rows of seats, two people, and just that was that was a special moment. It really was. I mean, you know, just to get everything out, there was there was something like you know eight or nine years worth of, of pent up frustration and anger. Yeah. And, and personal heartache from you know from from being able to come to Central Bank every week with with my dad and then and also having him not there 
to come back on that night. You know, we lost Graham Taylor that week, and it was just that that whole week was just so special. And for that to happen in the ninetieth minute was, I, I just exploded, and it was just magic. But you know, getting back into the league, I was I was stood in lower seven for that. And I mean, we weren't sitting down in that game, <laughs> but we stood in low seven. And yeah, one of my friends, who you know, my best friend, the best mate, the best man, we were all you know, we stood there with a few other people, and we just stood there at the end watching everybody stream on the pitch. And I'm pretty sure he's never going to tell anybody about I'm about to tell everybody on the podcast. But yeah, I basically had tears streaming down my face at that point because it was just unbelievable. Yeah, um, it was an emotional day. Yeah, I mean, my, my wife was actually driving down South Park um, during, well, she was, she was driving down and she was just about where the fire station is and she said, I thought a bomb had gone off. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She said, it was when you scored, it was when you scored the second goal. Yeah. And she said that it was almost like a shockwave of noise yeah. that just went from the ground when, when that second goal went in. So Full relief. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that is, that is, yeah, that explains it. It is relief. Yeah. You know, because there was a lot of hope around the club when Dan and Nick came and, but we're all football fans, so you have a negative side, don't you? When you think, well, it's not, it doesn't happen to us. It's and then as it gradually kept going and, Talking of Forest Green, that was a major result as well. That must be up there as well, both home and away, but certainly away. And then suddenly you get towards the last few games, and you know you mentioned Torquay. Well, of course, Torquay had a big effect that season. You know, again, this goal again down here with Sam. That 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 double header over that weekend, Nathan's late goal at Gateshead, and then suddenly you realise there was a moment at Gateshead where you thought, "Hang on a minute." So if we win the game against Macclesfield, we're up. Yeah, and it was that, and then suddenly the pressure kicks in because you think, well, what happens if we don't win it, and somebody else does win? You know, because we kicked off early as well, I believe, didn't we, or something? And yeah, it was an earlier start, and the whole thing was the whole thing was set up for that day, and it was just a brilliant, brilliant day for everyone. And yeah. I, like you, was on the pitch trying to get some sort of order because BT Sport wanted to present the trophy, but <laughs> it's never going to happen, was it? No, never going to happen. So. Um, aside from favourite moments at the bank, we've obviously got Gary here, so it's time to, to just embarrass him a little bit. Why not? What is your favourite poacher story oh. with Gary? Well, the trouble is we haven't got long enough, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I have to say, over the years, the, the, there was a lot. I remember uh, we played our, our, our dear friends from Swansea City one day, and Gary, I don't know, well, I do know why, but I'm going to leave it to your imagination as to why came out with a plastic sheep under his arm. And I remember saying to him, I'm not sure you can do that, Gary. But he did anyway. And it was quite funny, to be fair. And I think everybody saw the funny side. Well, not everybody, <laughs> but a lot of people saw the funny side. So that was a good one. Uh, there was the day, of course, that he was mistaken for... Uh, who were you mistaken for? I was mistaken for Tony Battersby. Tony Battersby. Now, I love Tony Battersby. You know, he was a nice enough chap and probably didn't. we didn't see the best of him, and we'll leave it at that. Uh, but to be for poacher to be poacher who is you know red and white furry six foot seven tall big clog of her feet to be for the referee the linesman to put his flag up down here and call the referee over to ask if um, he could be removed from the pitch because he couldn't tell whether he was onside or offside well that's a classic and another one was remember when we went to Sheffield Wednesday 
It was. It was. No, it was, it was um, Derby. 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 We went to Derby County. That they somebody had come up with this great idea of having the most mascots at a at a sporting event. It was not only football; it was cricket or any mascot you could find. And and so uh, they approached Gary to do it, and Gary said yes. And it said on the on the on the invite that you could take a helper, quote helper. So I went along as his as his as his helper, and they took us into this huge great room, didn't they? And there's all these mascots in there, Fred the Res there, and all all the great and the good mascots are in there, and we're all getting changed. So you've got this insight as to what they all look like when they were getting ready to be their alter ego. And we went down to onto the pitch. I think it was to do a practice run or something. It was before the game, yeah, wasn't it? Was, yeah. Now, at that time, Sheffield Wednesday had the owls. Well, obviously, they had the owls. And they had a family, didn't they? There was mum, dad, and there was baby owl. And they had in their in their head, didn't they? These these microphone boxes, or yeah. they were able to speak, which obviously is unheard of in in, in mascot folklore. Yeah, but they could speak. And the idea, presumably, was when they were walking around the side of the pitch, they would talk to kiddies, and 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 they, and they had this sort of it was like Orville, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a voice diffuser. Yeah, it was like three Orvilles: <laughs> Mummy Orville, Daddy Orville, and Baby Orville. The funny bit was. As we're going down the stairs to go onto the pitch, Mummy and Daddy, because they're they're a real family, they were a real family, weren't they? Mummy and Daddy had an argument, <laughs> but they had an argument as as owls, <laughs> and he's he's behind them. You can tell he's he's got all the garb on. I'm just falling about laughing because uh, it was so funny they're arguing about who's going to go first or I don't know what they were arguing about but it was just so funny to see their sort of they're, they're, they're the owls but they weren't they were the people inside <laughs> um, no I mean look Gary was, was brilliant I'm going to I'm going to embarrass him a little bit now you know because I suppose we ought to really you know, absolutely. <laughs> look Gary was brilliant I remember when Gary first came and, and sort of we, we actually advertised for poacher would you believe when we first got the poacher and we wanted people and I think we had about 40 to 50 applicants wow I didn't realise that was quite a lot and um, they you know everybody wrote a letter in it wasn't you know and said why they should be and a lot of them I think were just basically saying oh I can get free I come to watch football free but there was about five or six that obviously thought about it so we, we I think we invited four people in for a quote interview and I think you were the last. I'm fairly sure you were the last. And the, anyway, the other guys came in, and I apologise for any of you who were listening, but you just got the feeling that didn't really get what, what it was about. And then he comes in. Uh, fresh face, what were you? Oh, 18. So he's fresh face. Yeah, I know it's hard to believe now. <laughs> but he was like a fresh-faced kid, and he walked in, and under his arm he's got his little... You had like a fold in his little red book. I mean, you've still got it, haven't you? I haven't, no. <laughs> Your mum's got it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he had this folder, and we thought, oh, what's going on here? Oh, I looked at Jerry, and uh, anyway, he sat down, and then we talked about it. And, he, and, and inside, you, you, you sort of thought, he'd actually thought about what poachers should do. Things like going out to schools yeah. was one thing. Oh, all the rest Yeah, exactly. And, and, and anyway... After he'd gone, I looked at Jerry and I said, well, that's, that's Poacher, isn't it? I mean, he was Poacher. And it's very interesting because, um, I mean, I don't know how many games you did. It must be... 16 and a half I mean, years, people ask me how many games I've done on the PA. If, I don't know, it's six, seven hundred, probably, if not more than that. But Gary did a lot of games. 
But occasionally Gary couldn't come for whatever reason, work-wise or whatever. So we had to get eight quotes standing. And you could always tell when it, when it wasn't Gary. Because Gary was that good at it. But you could always tell. There's an art to it. Mm. it, it you know, if people think it's just a bloke walking around in a suit. It's not. Because I, mean, I, I, I go to um, Disney World a lot. And obviously they have... Because you know Mickey Mouse is a real loon. I've been and, told. Yes. It, I'm sorry if there's I, anybody out there. Well, have I, have I, no, that's not <laughs> say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's really quite a hard job to do. Yeah, I would imagine I've never done it. And we, you know, we can talk to Gary a, bit, a little bit about it in a minute. And so, you know, Gary was very good and we had a good working relationship because obviously you have to try and work with, with the PA announcer, especially one that actually goes out on the pitch. Mm. Um, and even back in those days, I just think we were different weren't we we were we were I, I think we had, the first couple of games I remember doing I was really nervous <laughs> the first game I did it was uh, I think it was against Grimsby in a friendly and there was none of the needle and um, I remember just they, it was just the Selenity stand was open St Andrews I always know it and I remember kind of walking up and pretending to be Liam Gallagher when the music came and stuff <laughs> And nearly tripping over Alan's wire. On his <laughs> <laughs> the famous wire. Because he had a wire. And uh, he, could, he couldn't go so far. <laughs> and I, I kind of, yeah, it kind of grew from there. I mean, the Swansea story was actually a little, a little bit worse because somebody really? had a pen for autographs. Um, so we wrote Mrs. Trundle on the side because, <laughs> because Lee Trundle was playing up front for them at the time. Uh, and at half time, I put it in the goal uh, and took penalties against it. <laughs> Uh, I think the sheep won. I mean, it was a little blow up sheep, uh, and then we left it in the back of the goal for their keeper to find, which was which was pretty bad. And and I kind of look back on some of those things now, and I think you wouldn't get away with it. No, because now and you know it's, it's the way football's gone. The mascot now is you're definitely just there for the kids. And don't get me wrong, poacher was. You know, I I pose for the kids. I do the schools. I do the parties. But when you were out there on the pitch, we were given much more free reign. I mean, Alan used to go. Obviously, still does go around the stands. And I'd go over to him and he'd go to talk to me. So he'd say something like, how are you today, Poacher? And he'd lean in with the microphone. And then, and you are going to get a brief swear ear, I'd say. I'm effing knackered, I was out till six. I'm sweating in here, honestly. Like, you wouldn't know. And he'd go, and then he'd go back on the microphone and go, oh, where's Mrs. Poacher today? And he'd go over to him and he'd go, it stings like a tramp pissed on the sofa, Alan. And, and then you, and you had to, and the number of times you had to do it. And not, I actually came to games trying to think of inventive ways to throw Alan off his scent. So he, every time he would come over, like Grimsby would come over and go, How are you, Poacher? Today stinks of fish, mate. Don't you? And he'd be going, no, Hello to my Grimsby go back to their hovels or whatever. I'm sure they were. You'll be pleased to know I stayed professional. All the time. Always. There was the one time, and again, this this will ruins a little story in my book, and I don't know if Alan remembers it, but it was Chesterfield Boxing Day 2009, I believe, but it might have been 2010, and a guy had come to do a documentary about mascots, and he was going to wear Mrs. Poacher. (laughs) And he had these kits, these little clip on microphones like we're wearing now, and we we got all clipped up and and done up, and and off we went out onto the pitch. And Alan had got his radio control microphone by then or radio <laughs> not radio we lost the cable yeah the wireless one wireless one yeah and you can tell I've nearly fought so anyway Alan's doing his thing and I'm walking around with this guy and as we were it's Chesterfield and our fans were singing they were singing something like and it doesn't sound like Link fans you can shove your miners up your own. Um, and the guy was like what's that all about and oh the miners strike and this and that and then the, the Chesterfield fans were biting back and I was kind of swearing a little bit like listen to them and um <laughs> 
And I could hear, every so often, I thought I could hear myself swear. This is a little bit weird. And so we were coming across the pitch from uh, the what, what I call the co-op stand or whatever. We were coming across towards the tunnel, and I could hear the guy was talking to me. He was saying, so what do you do now? And it's like, I'm sweating buckets in here. And all of a sudden, I realised that people had turned to look at me. It's like, well, what the fuck are they looking at? And it's Rob Noble, like, shaking his hands on the side, going, no, don't say any more. It's like... And again, I, I mean, I've had a few, to be fair, I've been driven in, so I was a little bit loose. What the hell are you on about? And at that point, I could hear that the, the microphones we were using were on the same frequency as ours, <laughs> only a little bit quieter. And you could just yeah. hear it. And, that, and the, the, funny enough, the other, last home game we were at, I think halfway through, somebody had messed the microphone up and you could hear... Yeah, well, it, it's long, it turns out it was the microphone up in the, in the grind control, but you're right. It was, it was the same sort Similar of Similar deal. Yeah. Yeah. I always remember that. Siobhan and something or other. He, I can't remember what his name is, but she was a pretty girl, so it was Siobhan. And, uh, <laughs> they came to my house for bacon sandwiches, first of all, and my uh, my mum hand-washed poacher so that it didn't smell so bad when they came to my house. <laughs> no, it was... Uh, it was a great time, you know. It was, it was, you know, we were all new at it. And, I mean, I, I, I'd like to say I apologise now for, for making you dance to the Lincolnshire Poetry Ball. Oh, do you know what? Where did I go the other day? I was with my missus the other day, and we went in somewhere, and the, the Lincolnshire Poetry was playing. I was like, "That's my song," and she's like, "What do you mean?" And I had to explain to her what the Lincolnshire Poetry was. But these stories and more will be available in my <laughs> <laughs> I've been writing it ever since I started as poacher, and hopefully it's going to be. Do you know, people like my business says I should write a book. I oh, should, yeah. So maybe, maybe yeah. I'll. I'll, oh, yeah. I'll yeah. I've written yeah. one or two. Yeah, very good. Maybe but. I should write a book because yeah. I mean, you mentioned about the microphone. I mean, that, that was so fun. Do you know that the jack plug is still there? <laughs> There's a jack plug in the. I think it's in the home dugout that is now. There's a jack plug in there, and the first time I went on the pitch, we couldn't afford a radio mic because back those days they were expensive. So they said to me, well, we've got your mic, and I think we've got it from Woolworths, to be honest with you, uh, and, and it's got a long cable on it, and you plug it in, and you'll be able to walk, and I could get about two-thirds of the way to the centre circle and no further. <laughs> and I, I, nobody thought anything about it. I mean, health and safety obviously would have a field day now, but nobody thought anything of it. Players used to run over it when they were warming up, and then one day, uh, it started sparking, the cable. There was a hole in it, and it was raining. <laughs> Uh, thankfully, the bit I was on it was Bakelite or something, so was, obviously I didn't get electrocuted. And I went back in and I said, Look, uh, either you get me a radio microphone or I ain't doing it. Um, but the jack plug is still. You, there. you reminded me that you know when you have those things that you stick in your lawn so that your dog can only go so far? <laughs> <laughs> that was how I used to be. So I used to know if I stand here and call with somebody, can't get to me, so <laughs> there, like Scotty Doo, you know. And I mean, that, the thing is, I seem to think we didn't get the radio one until. Well into the Keith years. Oh, it was quite late. Because it, I remember yeah, yeah. Steph Wright, and it was in one of these boxes. It was the box seventeen. We used to get changed this, and that was yeah. Steph Wright came in, and he was promising you, you the match day team, are going to be revolutionised. And me and Alan looking at each other, going, "Team, what do you mean? What you mean, me and Alan?" Basically, <laughs> and he was going, "It's going to be full of razzmatazz." And Alan said, uh, "Can I get a microphone without a wire?" And it's like every time I hear razzmatazz now, I just think, "If you haven't got a wire, it's razzmatazz." <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll start to we'll start to wrap it up a little bit because um, I'm aware we're keeping you. Oh um, well, you know. Um, but, uh, it's fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, we did get some. We did get some questions from uh, from social media and Twitter. Um, one from uh, from Ben Whittle, which is uh, uh, you know your favourite moment at the club. Um, I mean, is is that 
Is, well, is it going to be all we've already spoken about? Well, actually, I mean, look, there's been a lot of favourite moments, for want of a better word, I suppose. Um, yeah, I guess we're a football club, so they all have to be football-related. I mean, one of my proudest moments would, would be at Wembley, certainly. Um, and that was that was an unbelievable experience. Actually, one of the proudest moments I, I, I think I've ever had here was the Chelsea game. Hmm. Um when Lee practised and put that penalty away. You know, because Lee, and I, and I hope you get Lee on this show soon because he's really good. Um, we, you know, as you know, Lee came through our, our youth system and so I, I'd known Lee when he was a kid, basically. Uh, and as he came into the, you know, first team, he would he, he, would, he would come out there, this little kid, because uh, he never was very big. But Lee was one of those footballers that got it from day one. You know, Lee was always a bit like Paul Farmer, and we were, I always used to call him a get-go man. If you needed somebody to have a picture with a fan, or could you sign this? Lee never says no. And then we know that Lee went away and, and, and played in the championship and did really well for his, himself. And then uh, he came back here, and um, I, I'd sort of spoken to Lee a few times. He played in a, in a, a game, didn't he? an end-of-season game, charity game or something here. And I know, I know he always wanted to finish his career here. You know, I'm sure he'd tell you that. And um, so for Lee to come back here and score the penalty that took his club, his hometown club, the club that is in his heart, I'm, I'm sure of that, to Wembley for the first time was, you know, the, it, that was an emotional night full stop. But for me, it was an emotional night because it was Lee that took the penalty. Yeah. And it was just, I don't know, there was some sort of symmetry there and I remember afterwards, you know, um, I said to him, you're making grown men cry, eh, mate? And, and we both had it. I think we both had a tear in our eye that night. You know, so for me, that was a really special... I mean, there's too many that you can mention. Yeah. You know, um, but but that for me was a really, really special, special night. And then I get a little bit stick because I, I do big up the Cowley boys. But for me, you know, nothing that they... they I recently had a significant birthday. And Dan and Nick were at the party for me, and, and that meant everything to me. And it says everything about Danny and Nicky, to be fair. Mm. And I know Gary, you went to a dinner, didn't you? Early doors yeah. when they came, and it's these little things that they do that make me so proud of a them and b our football club because we're in a great place at the moment. Believe me. Okay, one that has literally just come in as we were recording. Wow. Uh, from, from John. Live. This, this, is, this is a live breaking question. Gosh. Uh, he said, what, what initially got you hooked on Lincoln City? Have you always been this passionate about the club? Uh, well, I'm actually from Devon originally. I was born in, uh, in, in Exeter. Uh, went to school in Sidmouth, so I'm a South Devon boy. And in about 1977, joined Her Majesty's Royal Air Force. And um, so, cut a long story short, I got posted to RAF Digby, which you know is... 15 miles down the road towards Sleaford. And there was a very fateful day that Mrs. Uh, Mrs. P.I. announced that we'll tell you about when we'd not been here very long and she said, oh, I want to go uh, clothes shopping, shoe shopping. Now, as we all know, us blokes aren't very good at that. <laughs> really, are we? So I said, oh, um, I might go and watch the football because I'd always, I'd watched Exeter a little bit when I was a kid. I wasn't, I'm not an Exeter City fan, honestly. <laughs> but, they were my local... The first game I ever went to was St. James's Park with my dad, but I wasn't a fan of football particularly. It's just we went to a game. 
And so I thought, oh, yeah, I'll go and watch Exeter because you become, in the Air Force, you become nomadic. I went to Warsaw to watch games. I went to Wolverhampton Wanderers. I went to Luton when I was at Stanbridge. There's all these different places you go, but you're never a fan. And then I went to a game, stood up there, and I met a couple of lads and we chatted away. And uh, I can't even remember who, I think it was Doncaster. Uh, I think we won. And I was hooked. And then I started to come regularly when I wasn't working. Then I bought a season ticket. And I think it was at that point, there was a friend of mine called Chris and we started to go to away games together. So that's where the passion came from. And the short answer to the question is, yes, I've always been that passionate. I, it's, I don't know what it is about this football club. I don't know what it is about the city. I'm not from Lincoln originally, although I've been here since 1977. So I like to think I'm an adopted yellow belly. And I've always had the passion for the club. And then over the years, getting involved in supporters um, clubs and stuff like that, and, um, being chairman of the sports club for a year or so as I was, getting involved at the trust, all those sorts of things has led to where I am now. And I, you know, I, I like to think that um, passion is a big thing in football, isn't it? It's, it's an overused word in passion, passionate fans, all this sort of nonsense. But the reality is, is that we are all passionate Lincoln City fans sat around, I would say table, but there isn't actually a table. <laughs> but if there was a table, we would be three passionate Lincoln City fans sat around a table chewing the uh, chewing the fat, as they say. Quite. It's funny that, I never knew you were Sidmouth. My grandparents live in Sidmouth, and their really? relatives are scattered at a place called the Buys. I know the Buys very well, yeah. Martin. We're going to get into all our yesterday's. Yeah, I, I spent the first... Well, I went... My, all my senior school was at... I spent six years at Sidmouth County Primary, uh, County Primary School. Community school, and uh, yeah, I know the bias very well. They had a bungalow back off the bias. Sorry for this. No, that's yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Deb. We'll have a separate podcast on <laughs> our life in Deb. <laughs> um, so, question from uh, from Andy and uh, Pearson. Mm. Uh, it says, um, fan base and crowds at the moment are excellent, but how do we ensure the match day experience doesn't become too commercialised and suffer as a, as a result as we cram everyone in and try to please everyone? Yeah, it, look, that is a, it's a very good question, actually, Andy, to be honest with you, and it is an issue, isn't it? It's how do, how do you keep everybody happy? We have lots of different types of fans. There's lots of ways of watching football. You know, you've got the extremes. You've got the you've got the 617 boys who want to bounce. That's not my idea of fun, personally. That's only because I'm 60 years old and can't do it, although I did bounce at Grimsby, which nearly killed me, uh, <laughs> so I moved. Um, you know, but that's that's what they do, and they're brilliant. Then you've got the fans that just turn up and just literally turn up, watch the game, get in the car and go home, and don't want to know anything. They don't do social media. They're not interested. They just want to watch the game. Then you get the the people who want to be in the VIP areas, the corporate areas. Then you get the ones that like us that want to get to the ground at eleven o'clock in the morning and go in the fan zone, have a few beers, and do all that sort of thing. So football is a very diverse thing now. There's lots of different people. How do you keep them all happy? You know, you can't hide behind the fact you have to make money at a football club. Whichever way around you look at it, whether it's a season ticket, whether it's people buying you know shirts, whether it's in the bars, whether it's it's buying a ball, whether it's coming to a training day, whether it's being in the Legends Lounge, whether it's being in the VR, you have to have all these different income streams, if you like. We have to maximise as much income as we can and and you know, that, that without exploiting. I think it's important that we don't exploit. But you have to give everybody the opportunity. Like I said, not everybody wants to wear a shirt and a tie and go into a, a VIP area. That's their choice. You know, not everybody wants to come as a family. I mean, one of the great things for me is the amount of families that I've gotten to know 
over the last two and a half years that have started to come to football and more importantly feel safe in coming to football. Part of the reason for that is that we do have these different diverse areas. You know, if you want to be, I mean, there's a lovely lady who's, um, she's in a wheelchair, she's disabled, and she actually asked if she could sit at the bottom of that because she wants to be part of that. Brilliant. For me, that's fantastic because she's her way of her 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 football experience mm. is different to what you would expect it that you think she'd want it to be. Yeah, and and it's the same with everybody. So the, the, Andy's question: How do we keep everybody happy? Well, it's not easy. No. The answer, Andy, is it's not easy. Um, but we have to, you know, you've got to have things like the Legends Lounge, and I guess we're we're talking here about using part of the car as the Legends Lounge, which. Unfortunately, meant that, that, that some of the family area got eaten into. Um, that's not strictly true, actually, because the family area was always going to move here anyway. Because when we came into the AFL, you have to have a family stand. Oh, okay. I, I think I'm fairly sure that's correct. I'm, I'm stood to be corrected, but I'm fairly sure that part of the one of the many things you know you have to have a family stand. Well, of course, that's not a family stand. Court one isn't a family stand, it's a family area, yeah. but it's not a dedicated family stand where families can feel safe to go because it's a separate area. If you look at most family stands, they are exactly what it says on the tin. It's a stand where families can sit in. And we weren't doing that until we came into the AFL. So part of the reason for putting the family stand here, for instance, was that it wasn't a corporate decision, mm. but of course it then meant that we acquired the, the, the old dance club, made it into the the lounge, and then one thing led to another, and everybody said, well, why don't we have the Legends Lounge? We have the FP, the Former Players Association, it seems logical, because that had been so successful to, to, to do that. So, I don't know what you think, Gary, but, you know, it's it's not an easy problem to solve. It's not. I, I mean, I, I, with greatest respect for Andy's question, I, I kind of, I understand when some people say we get into the commercial, because the awards dinner last year, I think, raised some concerns. Yeah. Seven, 70 quid a ticket. I, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think yeah, entirely. And, yeah. yeah, but if you mean people of different kind of, uh, want different experiences coming to the ground, I mean, I, I, I actually don't like people who use excessively matched experience, because I think some people use it as an excuse you know, they'll go, oh, well, my matched experience was ruined because the loud people over in the corner were jumping up and down. The other, I don't, yeah, I don't buy that. A match day is a match day. And yeah. the experience is large parts of it are shared. And I think that you have to, it's almost live and let live. You it know, is a football stadium. It's a football stadium. There's going to be swearing. It's as simple as that. Mm. I mean, I, I, I let the odd one out. As you're, and there's kids sat in front of me and I apologised to their dad the other day. And he turned around and said, if I didn't want to wear it, mate, I'm certainly a family stand. And that's <laughs> the point. Family stand was always over in the far corner, poacher's corner. Yeah. The reason I think it was moved up here was to make the tickets a little bit more attractive for the adults because at the time when it was moved over here we weren't getting bonds on seats. And I think sometimes there's a sense of entitlement when things suddenly get good and mm. there's a there's a heart back to the old days. Oh, we'll lose our connection with the club. What was that the connection where we had 200 people demonstrating outside the ground when we played Newport because there was such fracture or was it mm. the connection we had with the club under Chris Sutton when there was empty seats all the time? This mythical community spirit connection thing. It isn't something that we can lose because it's the reason that Alan has adopted the club from 1978. It's the reason we're all yeah. sat here now yeah. when we could... You know, we have that, that, that will always be there while Danny and Nicky are here. Occasionally it wanes, yet Steve Tilson <laughs> comes in. 
and, and it kind of dies away and you get that lack of, you know, the, the 617 voice kind of sprung out of that misery. I seem to think mm. they came alive in the halls of theory because they ha- they understand it. That will never, ever go. And, you know, Andy, will ne- honestly, I'm going to talk directly to you now, that won't ever go. But coming to watch football at Central Bank won't always be easy. And the fan zone, is that commercialised? Because if that's commercialisation, I'm all for it. Yeah. Come in here and be able to get okay. food. Because I won't eat the food. No, great. I'm not going to queue for food in here. If I came here, if I want to go out and eat on a Saturday afternoon, I'm not going to go and do it at Central Bank. So I'm not going to moan about that. The fact is, when we're successful, you have to turn up at the ground before 10 past three if you want to be in your seat to watch football. And that's not commercialisation, that's progress. Yeah, I mean, the fan zone is all about making the fans experience at the club a better one yeah. it's not for everybody but that's what I, that's my point you know my point is everybody's got a different way of watching football you know a lot of lads like to go and have you know a lot, a lot of beer before a game I personally wouldn't never have it's, it's never done it for me but I don't think that that's an issue it's just we all have to accept there's different ways of watching football yeah I mean I think it, we, we've sort of answered the other question I wanted to ask from, from Neil which says uh you know, I think uh, where the kids now, where the kids are now, is a bit rubbish for them and dangerous during the game. Um, you know, how do we resolve the issue? Yeah, and I think to a point, I think there is a, you know, there is a good point there in that, you know, directly behind the goal when you've got yeah. young kids and, and everything else, you see it during the training. You know, before the game when the people are pelting the shots out. I mean, yes, we have the mess up yeah. now, which you know, I didn't have that luxury when I was on the state of West and got you know smacked in the head with, <laughs> with several uh, several stray shots during warm-ups back in the uh, you know the early nineties. Yeah. But um it's yeah, I, I think the, the point you raised Gary about the, the family stand, you know, the the, the small the, what's now the unique stand. The unique stand, yeah. That used to, I remember that was introduced as the family stand. Yeah, I think originally that, that exactly, that's exactly right. And in a lot of ways it's the perfect family stand because yeah. it's it's there, it's separate. Yeah. It is the perfect family stand. Yeah. All right, the view isn't brilliant from every seat in there. But then nice you might be admitting so oh, I know. crew fans might. So. No, no, no. Well, I've spoken to the crew fans and hopefully that they understand what, what the situation was there. But we won't talk about that. <laughs> um, but no, you're, you're right. And Look, it isn't perfect. I'll be honest. You know, when, when we said we we're going to make this into a family stand here, I, I was a bit, oh, I don't know. But because of that very reason, mm. you know, but... You know, the co-op stand is our prime seats, isn't it? Let's not kid ourselves. You know, the co-op upper one, two, three, four, and five are the prime seats in our stadium. And in conjunction with, like I say, I mean, you know, the EFL says the family stand has to be a separate stand in as much as it's not part of another stand. Then the only logical place to put it is here because where else can you put it if you put the away fans in the Stacey West, which most of the time we have to because, again, it's 10% of the capacity so we don't have a choice um, there was nowhere else for them to go so it was a case of we need to make that into the family stand have we been as successful as we wanted to be probably not but it's a work in progress and that brings me on to the, the whole stadium thing where you know we are where we are people forget that we're creaking at the knees every week you know this stadium we've talked about it it's full every week it's yeah. not like you know we not that long ago we could have had Blocks one, two, three, four, and five as the family stand because no one sat in. I remember but we can't do that anymore. I remember Gary saying that he wants to came to the game and had an entire block to himself. Block <laughs> <laughs> one. And the reason I know I had a, a whole lot to block to myself because I sat at the back and had a fag up there and I don't think I was meant to and nobody noticed. But, uh, yeah. Well, he's not telling you there was 150 other people in there, but they all walked in. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? I actually think it was Block I because I think L was away fans and I think it was. Yeah, um, Orient in about 97 or something like that. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's um, yeah, it, it's impossible to please everybody, you know, absolutely. All the time. And I think the from from my point of view, I think the the, the club's doing you know a good job. If, if you want to talk about community spirit, mm. you know, I've not seen I've, I've not seen a, a link between club and fans this well, strong. I mean, Since I can key. tell you that you know, again, when I go away doing things, I was up at an EFL SLO seminar at Blackburn about three weeks ago. And it's at that point that you speak to people from other clubs that, that away from the club, if you like. So we, you know, maybe they're a bit more open, or I don't know what. And it is quite amazing what people say about our football club because, you know, we, we disappeared into the oblivion. We've come back. There's the cup run, and everyone wants to talk about that. You know, wherever you go, oh, what was Arsenal? But that was fantastic, wasn't it? Ipswich and all that sort of thing. And they say, and a lot of clubs say to them, "What are you doing? What, what is it?" What is it that you're doing that we're not? Mm. Why Why are we successful? And I don't want to mention names of teams, probably Gary will, but I won't, um, that, that are, are similar size teams to us, similar budgets, similar ambitions, and yet they're not getting as big a gates as we are. And what is it? And the answer is, it's the community. It's the it's it's not just the football club. It's the whole town or city that we pulled in together over that, in the cow year, as we, as we lovingly call it. And I think that's the biggest thing we've got going for us. It's also one of our biggest problems because so many people want to come to football matches. You know, um, we've got Mansfield coming up in a couple of weeks. I mean, you know, if you want a Mansfield ticket, good luck because, yeah. you know, they're going to sell out their end. Yeah, We're definitely going to sell out our end, so that'll be a sellout. And how many League Two clubs can say that? There's, there's not too many. So, But it's also causing us the, the problems in as much as we've got to try and Keep everybody happy, fit everybody in, and and do all this, all the things that we want to do. Match the SLOs, for instance. I must, while I'm publicly here, I must mention my team. You know, the guys have picked that ball up and run with it. And believe you me, that wasn't an easy thing to do because there was a lot of there was a lot of negativity out there from certain quarters. We don't need this. I don't need this. I don't need somebody to tell me when I can, where to go, and all this sort of thing. Fine, that's brilliant. But a lot of people do. And they, they, they work their socks off, you know, they, they do a lot behind the scenes that people don't even know they're doing. And that's all part of the community. And they're doing that because they love the club and because they want to get involved in what we're doing here and what we're trying to achieve and where we want to get to. And I honestly believe, and I hope you guys agree with me, that the sky's the limit at yeah, this mm-hmm. club. No, no question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, final question, just to, uh, to wrap it up nicely. Uh, we have... One from uh, Sean Sheep Simons One <laughs> on, uh, on Twitter. I know Sean Simons is actually my stepmom's boss. There you go. Okay. Well, so, there you go. Um, what's your favourite crisps? My favourite crisps. I knew something like this would come up. <laughs> I have to say, I'm a salt and vinegar man. Salt and vinegar. Yeah, I, I, I love a salt and vinegar crisp. Excellent. Do we all get this? I like the spicy chicken red hot ridges that you get at the minute. They're a pound a bag, like a big bag in the co-op in Louth. They're not on offer very often either. So to be honest, I thought it was Christmas because I went in there. They were on offer and the, the Kumpo chicken sauces from Shards or whatever were a quid a pop as well. So I spent a tenner on Chinese sauces and crisps yesterday. Which is going to be insight into the life there of you go, uh, yeah. Stacey West. I haven't got the chicken, so it's just going to be sauce and crisps. <laughs> You can put the di- you can put the di- like crisps yeah. in the sauce. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, I mean, it's the chicken flavored crisps. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. It's like a southern fried chicken, and I think it will contrast. But you know, we'll, we'll see what else the freezer yields. I found some buffalo bowls in there the other day. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, unless I put that word. Mince. Yeah. Like, like, no, no, not testicles. <laughs> Balls of mince. Oh, sorry. I'm right. You two, honestly. I was, a, I was a bit worried about where this was going. Yeah, to I was speaking to I'm quite glad we're winding it up with you. Yeah. <laughs> because it's 20 to 5, and yeah. I'm the one that's got to drive. <laughs> well, I'm going to use a pot of hammer, so yeah. I'm going to find uh, You can find Gary's new culinary book at <laughs> <laughs> Cooking with Gary. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that is the great cook off. That is going to wrap us up. Um, thank you so much for joining us. It's been my pleasure and great fun. We yeah, should absolutely. do it again. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully, you know, if, uh, if, if uh, people from uh, you know other other people from the club are listening, or you know, if you spread the word and say it was absolutely. Good yeah. Can, uh, I'll say that you're totally. Um, yeah, it's not a frightening experience at all in any way, shape, or form. What if Liam will come on? That could be interesting. Well, you can only ask. You can. You can only ask. That could be. A, that could be quite a good one. I think. Very good. Yeah. Anyway, thank you. And uh, as ever, guys, please do drop us a, a review on iTunes and all the rest of it wherever you're listening. Um, subscribe. Tell your friends about us, and we'll see you next week, where hopefully we'll be three points to the good. Um, I said that on the main podcast, and then Gary corrected me, but. Fortunately, the, um, the 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 recording cut out thirty seconds too early for Gary on Gary's side, so that didn't actually make the podcast. So, uh, brilliant, yeah, but yeah. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.